The perils of algorithmically reproduced racial discrimination have become matters of public concern. In particular, there is new attention to the algorithmic risk classification of people, for example, in private insurance, consumer credit, and the penal system. Now, these concerns are often framed uh, in terms of artificial intelligence, following commercial rebrandings of the technologies at play. But of course, the underlying technologies have much longer histories. In the case of algorithmic risk classification, the techniques may be called actuarial due to their origins in insurance. I'm concerned with how racial discrimination is not just an incidental effect of actuarial techniques. Rather, the histories of actuarial techniques are shot through with efforts to reinforce and refine racist structures. And when I say racist, I follow the famous definition by geographer Ruth Wilson Gilmore. Racism is the state-sanctioned or extra-legal production and exploitation of group-differentiated vulnerability to premature death. Actuarial techniques were devised by capitalist firms and states precisely to manage group-differentiated vulnerability to premature death. So today I'll reflect on the historical development of actuarialism as a feature of racial capitalism. I use the term racial capitalism following political theorists like Cedric Robinson to emphasize the mutual constitution of modern capitalism and racism. The two were conjoined driving forces in the development of actuarialism. Actuarial techniques developed simultaneously to increase the profitability of capitalist institutions and to manage the structures of group differentiation that these institutions relied on. So I'll recount some past attempts to improve the management of racial capitalism through actuarial techniques, focusing on the United States since the mid 19th century. My purpose is not to be exhaustive or completist but instead to suggest some major transformations in those attempts, pointing along the way to scholarship that has informed my account. My overall aim is to understand the concepts and assumptions that underlie algorithmic systems at present. Historians are just beginning to reveal how modern business practices involving precise calculations originated in plantation slavery. Historian Caitlin Rosenfeld reports that slaveholders in the antebellum United States conducted productivity analysis akin to scientific management and developed an array of ways to value and compare human capital. Slaveholders kept written inventories of their human capital, you know, a sort of proto-database, if you will, calculating the estimated value of each enslaved person based on several factors, including age, health, and skill. Enslaved people also depreciated when they tried to run for freedom. Some slaveholders updated their inventories regularly, you know, calculating the appreciation or depreciation uh, of their human investment. You know, as Rosenfeld notes, Southern planters, industrialists, and slave traders began to calculate and speak of depreciation 
decades before this became a common accounting technique. Enslaved people were some of the earliest subjects of management through calculation. These calculations of depreciation sought to account for the chance of future events like rebellion and premature death. However, these calculations did not generally involve probability theory. They also did not involve the language of risk, which was not yet available. But the modern concept of risk would emerge soon after. Starting in the mid 19th century, risk became part of everyday language, along with the rise of institutions of corporate risk management. Previously, the term had referred simply to the commodity exchanged in a marine insurance contract. So if you're shipping some commodity, whether it's wheat or enslaved people, and I insure your ship, I buy your risk, that's the strict sense that the word had. The transformation of the concept of risk happened largely in antebellum legal disputes over marine insurance liability for slave revolts in the Atlantic Ocean. In an illustrative case, the Louisiana Supreme Court considered the question of insurance liability after black slaves on the Creole ship en route from Norfolk to New Orleans in 1841 mounted a successful insurrection and sailed to freedom in the Bahamas. The court ruled that the successful revolt voided the insurance contract. The court's argument rested on an incipient link between freedom, self-ownership, and risk. As historian Jonathan Levy puts it, a slave's fate belonged to his or her master and the risk commodified that destiny as the master's private property. But when the Creole slaves revolted successfully, they gained their freedom and thereby repossessed their own personal risks. So the concept of risk became linked to a liberal ideal of self-ownership. You know, each individual person assumes her own risk. This is a very familiar idea today. This idea of the personal assumption of risk later enabled the practice of individualized risk classification, for example, in life insurance. And I think much, not all, but much of the current discussion around the ethics of AI is concerned specifically with the ethics of individualized risk classification. Risk classification soon surfaced controversies over racial discrimination. Now in 1881, life insurance corporations started to charge differential rates on the basis of race. Unlike cooperative insurers whose policyholders paid the same rates regardless of age or health or race, the corporate insurance firms, Prudential and Metropolitan imposed penalties on African-American policyholders. When civil rights activists challenged this policy, the corporations claimed differences in average mortality rates across races as justification. According to historian Dan Balk, in 1884, Massachusetts state representative Julius C. Chappelle, an African-American man born in antebellum South Carolina, challenged the fairness of the policy and proposed a bill to forbid it. The bill's opponents involved statistics of deaths, but Chappelle and his allies reframed the issue in terms of the future prospects of African-Americans 
emphasizing their potential for achieving equality. This vision for the future prevailed over the opposition's fatalistic statistics and the bill passed. After the victory in Massachusetts, similar bills passed in Connecticut, Ohio, New York, Michigan, and New Jersey. In the United States, racial discrimination has been not only an effect of institutional policies based on risk classification, but often their very motivation. Now it's important to note that individualized risk classification predated the creation of modern mathematical statistics. In the 19th century, statistical claims were typically based on simple population averages, since the major tools of modern mathematical statistics, correlation and regression, emerged only just before the 20th. These tools, developed by eugenicists Francis Galton and Carl Pearson, facilitate the analysis of differences between individuals. Galton devised the concept of correlation around 1888, when he was investigating a few different questions that seemed initially unrelated. All questions involved uh, anthropometric data and were motivated by his eugenicist concerns. Now, Galton had coined the term eugenics a few years prior in 1883. One question concerned kinship, the relation between the heights of parent and child. Another question concerned the relationship between the length of one's thigh bone and one's total height. And the last question was forensic. For the purposes of criminal identification, Galton was interested in the relationships between measurements of different parts of the same body. In his own words, he came to see all these problems as no more than special cases of a much more general problem, namely that of correlation. The eugenicist projects of Galton and Pearson are widely known. So I won't spend more time on the intimate relationship between statistics and eugenics here. In any case, throughout the 20th century, mathematical statistics transformed the human sciences, as well as the operations of capitalist firms and states in diverse domains besides insurance. This process especially intensified after World War II with the spread of mathematical models of optimization influenced by post-war theories of expected utility. Intellectually, this process was part of what historian of science Lorraine Dastin and her colleagues describe as the emergence of a Cold War rationality characterized by rigid rules, distinct from previous modes of enlightenment reason that had been grounded in human judgment and mindful deliberation. Politically, the expansion of actuarialism is sometimes linked to post-war neoliberalism. Sociologists Marion Foucault and Kieran Healy write that in the neoliberal era, market institutions increasingly use actuarial techniques to split and sort individuals into classification situations that shape life chances. The employment of digital computers is only part of this history as statistical and actuarial computations were performed primarily by human workers, often women, until the late 20th century. Although experiments with individualized risk classification in US police departments and credit bureaus started in the first half of the 20th century, these actuarial methods became pervasive only in the second half 
According to historian Josh Lauer, the widespread adoption of statistical credit scoring in consumer credit bureaus began in the 1960s when calculations of credit worthiness were marked as a replacement for evaluations that still relied largely on reports of character based on personal interviews. During the first half of the century, racial and ethnic prejudice had been codified into standard operating procedure, you know, guidebooks and so on. But even when statistical scoring systems avoided the use of explicit racial variables, critics were quick to point out proxy problems where secondary variables were intertwined with race. Social scientist Martha Poon demonstrates that in the 1970s, the seller of credit scorecards, Fair Isaac and Company, deployed a discourse of statistical objectivity to avoid a proposed extension of anti-discrimination legislation that would ban the use of such scorecards and to establish statistical scoring as the appropriate method of demonstrating compliance with the definition of fairness in the law. In the penal system, early trials of actuarial risk assessment began in the 1920s and 30s, when Chicago school sociologists proposed the use of regression analysis for parole decisions in Illinois. Those early methods used explicit variables on race and, and nationality. As critical theorist Bernard Harcourt shows, these actuarial methods started to diffuse nationwide only in the 1980s as part of a broader set of policies that operationalized pretrial and sentencing decisions, implementing a penal strategy of selective incapacitation. Although the relationship between actuarialism and mass incarceration is complex, to say the least, uh, it is worth noting that the progressive adoption of actuarial methods coincides with the dramatic increase of the US prison population since the 1980s and with the penological shift towards targeted interventions of crime control and risk management away from mid-century policies of welfare provision. In the 1970s, at the height of controversies surrounding redlining, US civil rights and feminist activists argued that risk classification and the pricing of insurance was unfair and discriminatory. To protect itself, the insurance industry disseminated the concept of actuarial fairness, the idea that each person should pay for her own risk. The industry promoted this anti-redistributive concept of actuarial fairness in campaigns and advertisements trying to convince Americans that risk classification in private insurance was inherently fair, unmarked by the kind of discrimination that had been outlawed with the Civil Rights Act. As historian Kaylee Horan discusses in forthcoming work, the industry posed fairness as a complex technical matter beyond the grasp of activists, and risk classification as an apolitical process based on objective calculations. By the early 1980s, the industry strategy of promoting actuarial fairness had effectively defeated the efforts of civil rights and feminist activists to pass federal unisex insurance legislation. So what's happening right now? We're in the midst of another moral crisis of actuarial systems. This crisis is broader in scope 
Now, since it is framed in more general terms following commercial rebrandings, algorithms, big data, artificial intelligence, automated decision-making, and so on. It is also greater in magnitude since actuarial and algorithmic systems have become ubiquitous in the age of digital computing. Along with the rise of a highly instrumentalist approach to statistics and machine learning that historian Matthew Jones terms data positivism. Once again, anti-racist and feminist activists are advancing arguments to expose discrimination and injustice. Again, there are proposals for legal regulation. And again, corporations are hard at work to evade and contain regulatory efforts and to prescribe technical definitions of fairness for strategic purposes. Public discourse is saturated with reformist projects and designs that aim to fix racial bias, but end up doing the opposite, as sociologist Ruha Benjamin observes. For instance, a new corporate-sponsored field of research proposes to formalize the elusive ideal of fairness as a mathematical property of algorithms and especially of their outputs. Computer scientists, economists, lawyers, lobbyists, and policy reformers wish to hammer out in advance or in place of regulation, algorithmic redefinitions of fairness and such legal categories as discrimination, disparate impact, and equal opportunity. The corporate sponsorship and promotion of algorithmic fairness is not incidental. It is part of a strategic effort by corporate lobbyists, in some ways akin to the promotion of actuarial fairness in the 1970s. Nevertheless, there are key differences in the technical proposals at play. In the 1970s, proponents of actuarial fairness simply equated it with predictive accuracy. They posed fairness as equivalent to the optimization of utility in risk classification. Today, proponents of algorithmic fairness tend to define fairness and utility as distinct, often competing considerations. Fairness is generally considered a complementary consideration or constraint to the optimization of utility. And proponents often speak of trade-offs between fairness and utility. This distinction responds to a widespread recognition of, that the con conventional optimization of utility in actuarial systems, typically the maximization of profit or the minimization of risk, can be inherently unfair or discriminatory. The emerging debate on algorithmic fairness may be read as a response to this latest moral crisis of computationally managed racial capitalism. When corporate lobbyists and researchers try to prescribe a definition of fairness, they work to keep some issues unstated while pretending that what is plainly stated is exhaustive of the problems under discussion. Hence proponents of actuarial fairness in the 1970s, sponsored by insurance firms, framed the problems of discrimination and injustice as reducible to the stated issue of inaccurate prediction while leaving unstated the political struggles over the model of private insurance and the use of risk classification to begin with, a much larger issue. Today's proponents of algorithmic fairness, sometimes sponsored by Silicon Valley firms, 
tend to frame discrimination and injustice as reducible to the stated distinction between the optimization of utility and other mathematical criteria, while leaving unstated the on ongoing political struggles over legally enforceable restrictions to actuarial systems. So the most consequential assumptions tend to remain unstated. And here, I'd like to mention just one problem that deserves more attention in my view, because it appears consistently throughout the history of actuarialism. I call it the fallacy of misplaced agency. Actuarial techniques often rely on data that reflect structural forces and institutional decisions, but produce claims that are nevertheless framed in terms of individual agency. A clear example is in risk assessment in the penal system. You know, the data typically represent recorded arrests, convictions, and incarcerations. Yet the claims are often framed in terms of recidivism, flight risk, criminal behavior, and so on. There is a mismatch between the data and the claims. The data largely reflect the punitive decisions of institutions, while the claims purport to reflect the criminal behavior of individuals. Well, the fallacy of misplaced agency serves strategic rhetorical purposes, particularly in the justification of punishment. We must reject the fallacy of misplaced agency. And I suspect that most actuarial techniques require this fallacy to justify their claims. Without this fallacy, the techniques would lose their rhetorical currency. But of course, this epistemic issue is only part of what is at stake. My broader message is this. The legacies of racist projects are present at every layer of algorithmic systems, from the pioneering of calculative management by Southern slaveholders to the emergence of the modern concept of risk in antebellum legal disputes over marine insurance liability after slave revolts, to the rise of individualized risk classification to justify differential rates for life insurance, to the creation of modern mathematical statistics and correlation and regression driven by eugenicist motivations. I could go on. The point is that the legacies of racist projects pervade every layer of these systems. And if this is the case, then many of the proposed fixes seem rather superficial. We cannot keep all of these layers of assumptions intact, then try to address the question of, say, fairness at the level of the difference between the strict optimization of utility and some complementary consideration or constraint. The problems are much deeper than that. The problems lie in these layers of assumptions accumulated in the course of history. These assumptions have become entrenched and taken for granted. And for instance, the idea of the personal assumption of risk may seem entirely natural today. We must denaturalize these assumptions. My effort to historicize them is just one step towards that. For now, I remain skeptical of most proposed fixes of these algorithmic systems. And I prefer to stand in support of the movements that call for their abolition. Thank you.